Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the CyberPro Podcast. We have a repeat offender on our podcast. Mr. Tom Kirkham is on. We're excited to see what happens with the last podcast, but today's going to be a little different. Even though hackers never sleep, today we're really going to focus on you staying awake and keeping everybody's uh, eyes open with your cool insight. So, Tom, who are you and what do you do? Let's kick it off that way. Well, uh, I'm a CEO and founder of Iron Tech Security, as well as Kirkham.it, which is an MSP versus an MSSP. So we were an MSP for over 20 years. and uh, But several years back, uh, coincidentally, about the time the FBI come in to tell me I was on an ISIS kill list, coincidentally, uh, we started getting really, really focused on cybersecurity and, and serious about it and, and uh, making it job one which is something that a regular IT service provider, there, many of them, most of them are still struggling with, right? You know, that, that's, uh, there's, there's a lot fewer security service providers uh, than there are IT providers. And the average person has a tendency to uh, kind of confuse the two, think they're the same. And uh, so part of my job as being an evangelist for the company is to educate people. Not, not, I don't, you know, when I speak, Rick, I don't, it's not about, I don't have cybersecurity specialists in my office or business owners and managers and CEOs and whatever. And it's all about increasing security awareness because as we all know, human, humans are the weakest link. And that tends to be forgotten. All of these great technical and physical controls and techniques that we have, uh, they, they don't work. They're not effective unless humans are included in it and it's got to be a top-down deal so you, you kind of touched upon it and i'm really interested to see other than the fact that you know there's an extra letter in the acronym mssp right what what really is the difference between you know that managed security service versus that it service or that msp well, you could. There's a lot of different ways to approach it and or, or justify being a true MSSP. Uh, but in in our case, it's it's making security job one. We not only do we stay up to date on what best practices are for the cybersecurity world, but we also stay up to date with with what is best in class defensive controls you know, administrative controls, technical controls. You know, every time there's a research study from an independent third party like uh, Gartner or uh, Attack Miter, you know, we're in it. Okay, is there a better EDR out there, right? Uh, is there better password managers? Whatever it is, we're always looking to either rip and replace or, uh, you know, adding something to our security stacks. Whereas... The focus on managing the IT is really about increasing productivity, efficiency, positively impacting the bottom line for a client, right? So consequently, the objectives can be opposed to each other. You know, security being job one is often unproductive. You know, there's a loss of productivity to implement best practices in cybersecurity, and the, the trick to it is to minimize the disruptions because it, it, the more you disrupt users with hassles, such a, like, this is something that we were a thought leader on and we weren't the only ones. I started thinking about why, what is this stupid policy to where we're forcing people to change passwords every 30 days, right? 
I said, you know, you know, 30 years ago, that might be fine. But, you know, it still has a 30-day lifespan. There's got to be a better, more secure way that's not a hassle. So I started thinking about, well, let's increase the complexity or use phrases. What does that look like statistically? What does the research indicate? And so what the research was indicating is that, you know, when you're forcing somebody to change a password every 30 days, it's, you know, they'll use their pet's name and then the birth year of their first child. And then when that 30 days is up, they'll use their other pet's name and the birthday. You know, it, it was just, it was a formula which weakened the security overall. And so I started researching it and I found there were other people questioning it as well. So we changed our, at that administrative control and that practice to actually make it less of a hassle. And uh, that's one of the things that we do. So, it, 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 but once again, it's, it's, it's making security job one. So like, we will not take a managed IT client on if they don't do certain security things, period. It's not negotiable. Uh, you know, it's you're buying this or you need to go somewhere else because it's still job one. So we've got, you know, managed IT services anymore with all the great tools and everything there are out there, it's become somewhat of a commodity. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier now to be an MSP than it was when I, when we first started doing it. Um, the tools were immature and quirky and, you know, you know, now we're in these late generations, web-based tools that, you know, just work really, really well and smooth and easy to use. But besides the fact that security, the tools themselves are getting to that point now, there's, there's such a human component to it. And that... It's, it, in fact, frequently, I bring a business coach on my webinars, my educational, like the, C, the, the law industry, continuing learning education, the CLE credits they have. It is such an important part of your overall security strategy. I bring a business coach on that talks about why leadership and management is important when it comes to cybersecurity. And, and so I, I think it's that, I think in my mind, the psychological component of not treating cybersecurity as a bolt-on to IT, but to reverse that and make cybersecurity most important and then make an IT a bolt-on to that. And what we're seeing now in the large enterprise clients, you know, the Fortune 500, they are adopting that practice as well. You're probably familiar with uh, Booz Allen, the big uh, consulting firm. They they restructured their C-suite, and now the, uh, I don't know what their exact titles are, except Chief Information Security Officer, the entire IT department reports to him or her, and, and, and that's it. That is, so the security officer is the boss of everything. So they can do a risk analysis. They understand the IT issues and, and then can weigh it and then properly describe the risk assessment or the, or the risk status to the CEO or whoever. And that's what we're seeing coming down the pipe, among other things, is this shift away from IT first to security first. Nice. Tom, talk to me about what Iron Tech does and some of the cool stuff that you guys are working on today. We're working a lot on artificial intelligence and you know now with chat gpt i'm sure everyone's played with that if you haven't it's it's awesome again 
go on YouTube and find some videos that gives you some tips and tricks that you can do with it. I did that a few days ago. And it's like, wow, I didn't know it would do this. And, uh, but what we're seeing is you, we're starting to see a lot of interest in the criminal hacking world in it. And so when you think about con jobs and psychological manipulation, one of the things that I stress to the, the layperson is, you know, the, the, the majority of these attacks are not Colonial Pipeline and JBS, you know, or, or the Pentagon or whatever. They are, they're highly automated, they're done with bots, and they're done at scale. You know, they'll blast out 100,000 emails to, say, all the attorneys in New York State, members of the bar of New York State. And they don't know who they are, they don't care who they are, and it's all automated, beginning to end. They just want the money. They're, they're thinking in conversion rates. Well, if you take their special con job skills to get a victim to open an email, open that file attachment, and unleash the virus, imagine using artificial intelligence to make those more targeted. So the email, you know, in old school, the from address would be like, you know, from, oh, I don't know, West Law, I think is a big supplier to the law industry. Or it used to be, I know that. And, you know, they'd say something like, well, um, you know, you're, you're subscribed, you're, you haven't paid, you've got outstanding invoices, open the spreadsheet and address these immediately or we're going to cut your service off. Well, that'll shut a law practice down. And so they, they trigger those psychological things. It's a confidence scheme or a con job. Well, imagine if those emails can still be sent at scale, but instead of it coming from West Law, it comes from your boss or a managing partner because it can go out and scavenge from LinkedIn or anywhere on the web and figure out who you work for. And I'm sure there's a million other ways to take that uh, and apply it. And I think that uh, we're this year we're really going to see an increase in these, these, these targeted attacks using AI. And it's going to make the human element even more important to understand that. So, you know, we're a targeted company. Every time we just promoted a guy about a week ago, he went full time. He was an intern, got an operations job. And Monday, he got a targeted email that looked like it was from me. <laughs> and, and, and we know we're targeted. So somebody's looking at us, you know, a human's laying eyes on us and, and sending these, to see if they can get a hit. But now they can just use AI and target all the IT suppliers and MSSPs and everything like that. So that, that's, uh, that's a little bit terrifying. Now, the good news, the good news is that we've been using AI for years in order to defend against attacks. That's how an EDR works. It's a neural net. Understand storylines and imminent threats, and this is, this is the beginning of an attack. It doesn't have to detect a virus or anything like that. It, it just knows what an attack looks like. So it's going to be fascinating. You, you talk a lot about this human perspective or the human piece of cybersecurity. I know the buzzword that I'm hearing is they're calling it layer eight. What do you, what do you think is important when we talk about layer eight and human perspective as far as cybersecurity is concerned? 
well, I'm not plugged into that phrase layer eight. So you may have oh. to brief me on that. Yeah. So, so that it, it's a new verb kind of coming into the world. Uh, you, you look at the network security, there's seven layers of network security, but layer eight's the one that oftentimes is breaking, right? It's the fact right. that if they attack this human, which is right. layer eight, then, then that's the only layer of network security they have to break. They don't have to break through the other seven. And it's a new term. It's a term that's just starting to get traction. Uh, you know, I work for a company that is using it quite a bit. I've, I've, I've heard that the Department of Defense is starting to use it a bit. And so, you know, it's, it's curious that we have to come up with another way to say human perspective or human notion. But yeah, so layer eight is basically the human component of the cybersecurity chain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that I could adopt that until something better comes along. Right. But I don't think Bob Kahn or Vent Surf would approve that. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so what was your question then? Now that I know that. Yeah. Of course. So the question really is, why is understanding the human perspective, the human component of cybersecurity, so important? Well, you know, when you 95% of the breaches have a human failure at some point, 95%. And, but they're often, they're a lot like an airplane crash. You know, it's not, it, it's not just one thing. Usually it's a series of things that failed. You know, it might be an engine blew out, right? Or, you know, we hit a, a flock of geese and then this particular aircraft, the pilot didn't follow the proper procedures for shutting the engine off or whatever. But there's always that human component. Very, very rarely, 5% or less, uh, is there a non-human component. There's a human failure, as in almost everything in life, right? That's what life's about. It's the, the, uh, the humans are imperfect beings. And um, that, that it, it's, you know, when, if you run a company, or even if you're just a part of a company, you you recognize this. You know that there's somebody that a colleague or or somebody that works for you. You know their strengths and weaknesses. Hopefully, you know your own strengths and weaknesses. And if you've set your culture up right, you 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 figure out how to make that team go out and win the Super Bowl. You know you've got wide receivers and defensive linemen and quarterbacks. Since it's almost you know we're in the playoff season <laughs> during the recording of this, uh, you know you're building that team. And you allow them to do their job. And that layer eight is about understanding and assessing what everyone's security maturity level is. Both awareness and practices, accountability, and continuing defensive awareness training. That's because you've got to be able to change and adapt to new threats, new threat actors. Uh, this whole FAA thing, I haven't had a chance to... Uh, uh, look into it lately, but there was questions, is this a cyber attack, you know, with all the grounding of the planes this morning? That's, this is the day we're filming this, by the way. Uh, <laughs> right. FAA grounded all the flights because computers went down. Uh, maybe a human failure right there. You know, human failures. And, you know, a perfect example in the IT world is a lot of people will set up all of these backups, but then a human being never goes in and checks them and verifies and I have yet to find a fully automated system that will tell you each and every time that it's broken. And you, if somebody has one, I'm all ears, but I've never found one yet that doesn't, number one, break occasionally. 
And number two, fails to notify you that it's broken. So uh, that that's and so that's why you have to have the human element. The automated tools can only do so much. It's the same thing with EDR, you know, with a you know endpoint detect and response. It still has to be investigated by a human being and responded to, mitigated, remediated, and, and humans have to lay their eyes on it. Um, let's pivot. I know that recently you wrote a book, Hack the Rich, very cool premise and, and writing style. Talk to us about where your head was at and why you wrote it and why somebody should pick it up and read it. Well, the, the, the title of the book is really referring to a yet another trend that we're seeing. And, and with AI, it's going to be even trickier now. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of weird how that happened, but I started, I wrote it last year and released it, I think in November or end of October. Uh, the concept is, is that we're seeing trends from the end of 22, uh, through now, and, and it's going to accelerate this year, especially with AI. We're seeing trends of targeted attacks on people of high net worth and uh, high net worth. And then, and if you want to know what the definition of it is, because you may very well be one and not, you know, they, we're not talking about billionaires with jets, right? We're talking the, the technical definition of high net worth is you've got a million dollars liquid, you know, not in real estate, but, you know, stocks and semi-liquid, crypto, gold, whatever. It's something that you can easily convert and you got to have a million dollars worth. There's over 30 million high net worth individuals in the United States. And today, the being the ultra high net worth individual or in the 1% that we've heard, you know, used to talk about, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was, uh, I think it's around 12 million liquid to even just to be in the 1%. So there's a lot more of them out there. And it's worth the hacker's time because the payday is so much larger to do a targeted attack on high net worth individuals, the principles that we talk about in the book, me and Sun Ju Lu, who's the fictional uh, gray hat hacker in both books, um, it, the, the, the 10 principles that we talk about are the 10 dumbest things you can do, applies to everyone, okay? Uh, and, and, and really and truly our stuff is, you know, it's not as expensive as you might think. Uh, to properly protect yourself. I mean, if you own a business, especially anybody in management of a business, you not, you know, you need to think about what would happen if people in the C-suite were compromised personally. What impact does that? That's a threat vector to the company, right? Anyone in the employee is a threat vector to the company, and and just something as simple as allowing them to remote in from personal devices. Well, if their personal device. Is, doesn't adhere to the same security standards that the corporation does, that's a huge threat vector. That's a, that's a hole, and you've got to respect that. So it's both high net worth individuals, it's managerial, important people in the, in the organization, but really and truly it's uh, you can read the book and get 10 things you shouldn't do. That's good security hygiene. The first book, you know, The Cyber Pandemic, is where we break down these five things you need to put in place you know, all companies should put in place, you know, multi-factor authentication, use EDR and, uh, you know, backups and, you know, and, but main thing is a skilled security team has to be engaged all the time. You know, it's no longer do it yourself. Uh, and it also had Sun Ji Lu on it as well. But 
um, and I, I'm involved with some groups that have a lot of high net worth individuals. Some of them are billionaires, but uh, it, it's it's really surprising. You know, we've we've had a we had a client that came to us that had had uh, they got conned out of four hundred thousand dollars in their bank account, and uh, they didn't reach out to anybody for over a month, and then it took them another month to make a decision to improve their defense. They didn't even know about the loss of $400,000 for over a month. <laughs> and that started my wheel spinning that this is a different, you know, it's all relative, right? You know, it doesn't matter how much money you got. It, it's, you know, $400 may be important to me, but maybe it's 400000 to someone else. So it's like when you're playing, you know, you're on a craps table at Caesars. There's guys that put $5 on the craps line that's just as important as the guy that dropped $5,000 chip on the, on the pass line, right? And so the concepts are the same. They apply to everybody, and especially with AI, they can scale that and make it targeted. And once again, you know, depending on their business model, they may make more money just targeting people for $500 rather than $500,000. So that was really the, the triggering event was that new client that we brought on and the more I thought about it, that these family businesses, you know, they, these multi-million dollar family businesses, there's, there's only three or four people that do office work, but they've got millions and millions of dollars in real estate and lease income and all of this stuff. And uh, I really started thinking about those. And there's a lot of people that are solopreneurs or family-run businesses that their generational wealth is at risk, you know? So that was the, that was, that was the thought behind the book. Now I love it. And where can people go to find the book? So both of them are available on Amazon and, uh, Kindle paperback, you know, how Amazon works. Of course, go and click <laughs> and add, add a bunch to the cart. So that's great. That's exactly in right. The, in the past time, we've always ended with your favorite piece of retro technology, but we've asked you that, and you've told us that before. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna flip that a little bit. What's your current favorite piece of today technology that makes you smile? I am more and more really, and I I, I have no vested interest in this, but a remarkable tablet. I have gotten into, and I know Kindle's got a kind of a competitor out now for it, uh, <laughs> but uh, Remarkable's been doing it for a few years, and because and, and actually I bought it, I didn't use it for a while, but this is a great note-taking tool that you've always got with you, and in many respects, it's like having a Kindle with 1,500 books on it. You don't have to lug them around through airports and things like that, and actually my old school one was, was this. Oops. I had a leather-bound journal that has many books inside you probably can't see that but a leather bound journal it's got a bunch of scars on it it's been around the world but uh it works great it's heavy it can't store that much and um this is the latest greatest personal productivity thing that i've really gotten into it more and more and more but that's a personal productivity thing where you did you have something else in mind no, that that's amazing because some people take this different directions, and and I think people often overlook the thing that helps them the most is probably the best technology in their life, and so that's awesome. 
Right. I, I uh, you know, years ago, that's how I got into this business as a hobbyist and a nerd and Bill Bone computer, you know, and I, and I was on the internet as a hobbyist before there was a World Wide Web. That's how old I am. <laughs> I, I was on it before uh, Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web. Everything was command line. You had all these different apps and you had to use Gopher and I can't even remember all the different utilities and tools just to navigate the internet. Most people confuse the two. They are two different things. Uh, but later on in life, I, you know, now I treat it as just a tool. And I want my, my equipment to just work. I want them, I want that electronic gizmo to fade into the background. You know, it took, it, it, people are anti-Kindle, right? They want to hold that book in their hand. Many people are. <laughs> and, and I had that resistance as well, but then, I forced myself to use it enough to where that Kindle started fading into the background and then realized that when I make notes through books and especially, you know, you know, uh, self-improvement books like business and leadership and management and sales, anything you want to do, I'd make notes through it and highlight it. So after about a year, I'd go back and just look at my highlights and I could get a refresher on the book of the things that I thought were important at the time. And that's big benefits that it's much harder to do by highlighting manually in a book. You can search it and you can push it out to an HTML file. I, I read a sales book uh, this past year and I, I, we bought a copy for everybody that needed it in the office and I pushed out all my highlights from that book to everybody in an HTML file and I said, here's the important stuff that I took out of it. So if they just wanted the cliff notes... Or sometimes the highlight would reference a certain page that you needed context, right? And so it's a productivity booster, not only for me, but for my team members as well. And uh, so I would encourage you, if you've been anti-Kindle, uh, give that a shot and, and think of it as a productivity increase, because I really think it is. And it's very easy on the eyes. And, you know, it's not like staring at a computer screen. It's, it's, it doesn't give you eye fatigue. You don't get the blue light deal. And all of that. So, and and it goes back to the remarkable tablet. You know, I had to force myself to get rid of, you know, to kind of give my uh, my uh, travel partner here a rest. And uh, you know, you're sitting on an airplane for ten or twelve or fifteen hours, and you just your mind starts spinning, and you need something to record your thoughts. A stream of consciousness some, sometimes can uh, just take you in a whole different direction and and the the remarkable tablet does that and much much more awesome tom thank you once again for being on the cyber pro podcast now it's my pleasure absolutely enjoy it every time thank you for watching the cyber pro podcast don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on new podcasts and bonus content